it in you? Is it in you? We're in a, a peculiar season as a church. Um, as we've already mentioned, next Sunday is, is one of the Sundays, and I don't think we've ever done a Sunday like this in the six years of, of history of this church where we're, we're really pausing and intentionally uh, receiving a special offering uh, for a, a special purpose. And uh, it's a unique season. It's not something that we do on a regular basis, um, but, but it's something that I believe is necessary it's something that I believe is, is needed, and it's something that I believe we can do if we want to be everything that God calls for us to be. And I want to share with you today that, 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 that even though you may feel uncomfortable when the preacher gets ready to talk about giving, and, and, and for some of us that's warranted. There have been many preachers and many churches who abuse this whole concept of sowing and reaping, whole concept of giving. So I get that. I understand where you're coming from. But any, any preacher who has any integrity, first of all, understands that when he's preaching about giving, it's not that he wants to to make you uncomfortable. But anytime a preacher talks about giving, it's not about, about giving. It's not about you giving, but it's about what God wants to give to you. And that's, that's really what giving is all about in the life of a believer. It's not about what leaves my hand. It's about what I'm making myself available for God to do in my life. And, and, and we actually ought to thank some of the people who are willing to say the things that sometimes can push us to be uncomfortable. It's kind of like, it's kind of like no, none of us would want a, a personal trainer who didn't make us stretch. You know, stretching and working out is one of the things that I like to do the least. But what I've learned is that over the years, when I used to be athletic, amen, um, my trainer or my coach would force us to stretch. It sounds un, un, unreasonable. It sounds like it's not really needed because it, you're, not, you're not playing, you're not practicing, you're just stretching. But here's what I, what I learned is that any time that you're doing something that is going to require any amount of strength, or any amount of endurance, or any time you're going after something that's bigger than you, you have to stretch before you engage. And so I want to stretch us today. I want to stretch us. I want to stretch us. I want to stretch us because, because here's what I've also found about stretching is that when we, uh, stretching uh, makes us nimble. It, it prevents us from having injuries that that if we had stretched, we would be able to, uh, to not have to go through. Stretching, although it takes time and it's uncomfortable in, in moments, but stretching helps us to get into things that under ordinary circumstances you wouldn't be able to get into because you're too tight. Stretching allows your muscles to move faster and be stronger, not because you wasted your time, but because you put in the work before you engage. I believe Paul is stretching us in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 and 21. I also think he's stretching us in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 in those verses that we saw. And I believe he's stretching us in not necessarily just in the area of finance, but really in the area of giving. And I know you're trying to find what's the parallel between these passages. That's my job today. So let me, let me share that with you real briefly if I can. And uh, the first thing that, that Paul deals with, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 first, is he's talking to the church in Corinth. 
and he's, he's, he's teaching them this principle or this law of sowing and reaping. He's teaching them this law of sowing and reaping. And he's, he's talking there and he says, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall also reap sparingly. And that he which soweth bountifully shall also reap bountifully. He's teaching us the law of sowing and reaping. And I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad that Paul took his time to teach us this law about sowing and reaping because there's, it's not a law that just works in the church, but it's a law that actually works universally no matter where you are and really no matter what it is that you're doing. It's really a term that comes from agriculture. Um, it's an agricultural term that, that is often used, and that's what Jesus in, old, 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 in the old scriptures in the Bible, they would often use these agricultural terms because the people in that time worked in agriculture. So when we hear if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. It doesn't mean a whole lot. We go straight to money. But what he's saying is it applies to money, but, but it's not necessarily about money. It's about a law that applies to money, but it's not limited just to applying to money, but it can apply to every aspect of your life. That if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly, meaning that, 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 that if you put into the ground sparingly or lack or a little bit or, or a very small amount, then you can manage your expectations because whatever you sow sparingly, he's saying the law of sowing and reaping means that you will reap sparingly. And it's critical that we understand that. I'm glad he started with sparingly because it doesn't just apply to money. It applies to every aspect of our life. If you, if you go buy some seeds from, uh, from a farm and think that you're going to go home and start an entire orchard, but you only plant two or three seeds, then you have an unreasonable expectation. Because you didn't buy or sow enough seeds to reap an entire farm. Because what you're going to reap is going to be direct correlation to what you sow. And there's a third principle here that I think he doesn't say, but he does say, because whether you're reaping or sowing sparingly or bountifully, you first have to sow something. And that if you sow sparingly and reap sparingly, I believe that the principle would, would stand on its own two feet to say that if you don't sow anything, you won't reap anything. That if you don't sow anything, you won't reap anything. We can see this in so many areas of our life, that if you don't put gas in the car, it's not going to drive. Real easy. It, real, real simple. If, if, if you don't put any money in a money market account that's going to bear interest, then you won't have any money after the fees. You, you actually have to put something in, is what he's saying, even if you just want a little bit. You have to put something in. You have to put something in even when you want a little bit. But can I tell you that God loves us so much that every day of our life, he breaks his own law just to show you how much that he loves you. 
Because the reality is, is that we have been reaping all of our life on stuff that we haven't sown. Oh, man, this is, this, is, this is very interesting to me because Paul just let us know that the only way we're going to reap something is if we sow something. But some way, somehow, God even broke that law because of his love towards us. John, Jesus would say it in John that God commended his love toward us, or rather in Romans, Paul would say that God commended his love towards us in that while we were sinners, that's when he sent Jesus to die. And, and, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of, life, of, of God is eternal life. In essence, when you sow sin, you should reap death. But because of the love of God, that even though we sow sin, he, we often experience the grace of God in our life, meaning that there are things that happen to us that don't happen to us because we've sown such, so much positivity. It happens to us because God is trying to get our attention to let us know how much he loves us. And it's not just to condone that behavior, that not just bad behavior, not even just apathetic behavior, but God wants to get your attention not to motivate you to keep doing what you're doing, but to motivate you to change some things because when you look over your life, you realize that there's no way I should have what I have if it had not been for the Lord. But there's, that is not where God wants to take you, but that is where God wanted you to start from. That the blessing of salvation that you receive from God is not the result of you sowing good behavioral seeds. It is a gift of God. And what I want you to see today is that is the lowest level of spiritual maturity if all of your celebration is on your salvation alone. Because Jesus says that if you think it's something that I paid for your dinner, the date just got started. Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. I remember I remember when I took my wife on the, on the first date, I think we went to, um, it was for her prom. Our first date was her prom, and we went to, uh, where did we go? We went to Applebee's. Amen. We went to Applebee's and uh, for her prom, and uh, um, Lord, Lord knows that, that I paid the bill for Applebee's. I did. I had to work like two weeks at the car wash and save all my tips to afford Applebee's at the time. Um, but, but I was willing to save... Um, because I knew that, that, that not only did we need to eat, but we needed to take pictures. And not only did we need to take pictures, but she needed to ride in a nice vehicle. And so what I wanted her to know, and the reason why we go, went to eat first, was because, number one, I wanted her to know that I'm paying for everything. And not only am I paying for everything, but this is just a snapshot of what the rest of the night is going to look like. Lord have mercy. That when Jesus paid the price for our sin, that was just a snapshot 
of what the rest of your life can look like if you understand this concept of sowing and reaping. Because Paul says here that he which soweth sparingly shall also reap sparingly. But he that soweth bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Isn't it amazing that God loves us so much that he says you get to dictate the quality of life that you experience yourself. <clears throat> I'm going to save you spiritually, but the rest you get to dictate. I'm going to make sure the sun shows up every morning. <laughs> the rest you get to dictate. I'm going to make sure the rain doesn't skip over your yard. But the rest you get to dictate. Because I'm going to send the rain and I'm going to send the sun. But your harvest is going to be dependent upon how many seeds you put in the ground. He says, I'm not going to do it all for you. I'm going to let you play a role in how your life is going to end and how your life is going to be lived, rather. So he gives us this principle and teaches us something powerful that if you sow sparingly, you can have an expectation. Your expectation is going to be to reap sparingly. And if you sow bountifully, you can also have an expectation that you're going to reap bountifully. And I know, I know most people and some people believe that Paul is trying to be manipulative to get people to give more. No, you're missing the point. He's saying that if we sow bountifully, or there's another, I'm sorry, let me go backwards. He's, he's making a whole different point. The point that he's making is that no matter what you sow, number one, you will always get more than what you put in the ground. <coughs> Whether you sow a little bit, you'll get a little bit, but you'll get more than what you put in the ground. And so this is not something to manipulate people to give more or to give more money. No, he's saying that if you don't mind living off a little bit, then give a little bit. Then just do a little bit. But if you want to walk in the bountifulness of God's grace and God's glory on your life, he says you can control all of that by sowing bountifully. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, and see, this is why we got to have children church more on a, this is why we do it, because see, right here would be a good point for me to give an adult analogy, but I can't give it because too many kids is in the room. But think about this for a moment, parents, uh, married parents, amen, think about this for a moment, that, 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 that marriage is, is your expectation, oh, Lord, I ain't going to do it, I can't do it, I can't, nope, nope, I ain't going to do it, I ain't going to do it, I ain't going to do it. Um, but watch this, verse number seven. He's only going to allow you to reap based on what you've sown. Watch this. But every man, every man, according as he's purposed in his heart, so let him give. Meaning that you cannot expect to reap bountifully just because the person beside you sowed bountifully. Okay, that that God has a way um, of of judging us not based on what somebody else has done, but for the deeds that we've done in our bodies, and the same works conversely. 
that you don't have to feel like you're going to be penalized because other folk aren't doing right, that God will make sure he takes care of you even in the midst of some chaos. Lord have mercy. That's a good word for somebody because you know what happens? You know what happens? Sometimes the devil will show up on our doorstep and say, I'm not giving to that. I'm not giving my time to that. I'm not giving my gifts to that. I'm not giving my money to that because I know nobody else is doing it. I'm going to be the only one doing it. I'm going to be the only one serving. I'm going to be the only one giving. I'm going to be the only one cleaning. I'm going to be the only one. I'm going to be the only one. And, 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 and if we allow that spirit from the enemy to fester long enough, it would have us change our entire attitude toward God and say, God, I'm not going to sow because they're not going to sow. So now my decisions aren't based on me and my relationship with God. My decision is based on me and my relationship with my brothers and my sisters. But the devil is a lie. I refuse to let anything or anybody come between me and the bounty that God has for me. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. That's why I'm going to show up. If it ain't but a few of us, I'm going to still serve the Lord. I'm going to give. I'm going to I'm going to clean I'm whatever it takes because I know that God will reward me based on what I do, not what other people do. And I, I, you got to see this because all of us will, will one day be in a season of life where we feel like we're doing it all by ourselves. In fact, in fact, here's what I need you to know. If you never feel that way, then that lets me know you're not really pushing. You're not pushing where you are. You're not growing where you are. When you're looking in the mirror, if you never have a moment looking in the mirror where you're like, man, I don't know if I'm going to keep on doing this because I'm so tired. I'm so frustrated. If you've never felt that, that means you ain't really doing enough anyway. If you haven't felt like giving up because you feel like nobody else is doing, then you're not doing enough. I was listening to a sermon the other day, and uh, this is kind of part of it, but this is part of this. But, but there was an article written, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal. Um, I can't remember the, the, the guy's name who wrote the article, but he was talking about um, uh, this, this arena culture. And uh, what arena culture that, 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 that this generation is dealing with is that everybody is, is so inundated with so much entertainment um, that, that they have a, a high expectation of, of receiving entertainment and pleasure, but they also have a very low pain tolerance and pain threshold. What that looks like is that everybody's so used to going to, a, a, to a, uh, uh, an arena for a game or for a concert or for an event where they just show up and receive the entertainment. And the moment that something's not done the way that they felt like they've paid enough for, or if the service is not at the level that they feel like they've paid, then they will leave or they will never come back. They'll give it a bad review because they are, and that has created what's called an arena culture. And, and that culture has slipped into the church to, the, to a degree that if it ain't all picture perfect, that must not be the church for me. I want to come and receive, but I don't want to really do anything. I'm just going to pay the fee to get in, and, 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 but it better all be done by the time I get there. 
Now I ain't talking about you because y'all here, amen, so don't even look at me like that. Unless you feel I'm talking about you, then maybe the Spirit is talking to you. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying this is part of the message because here's, 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 here's what has crept into the church, or rather what the church ought to be about, is a group of people who, as a result of receiving the sun and the rain from God, that they recognize that my life is so much better sowing into God than it is sowing into anything else, really. And that if I do sow into other things, it's all right, it's okay, but I will never lose the priority of where I need to ensure that I'm sowing. Because whatever you sow, that's where you're going to reap. And if you're not careful, you will sow into everybody else's harvest except for the Lord's harvest. And when you need him the most... When you need them the most, you'll start to feel frustrated because you haven't sown. But here's what happens. God is not going to judge you or hold you accountable for what somebody else is doing in verse number seven. Uh, but, but, but God, uh, uh, also in verse number seven, is not going to force you to do it. He's not going to do it. He says in verse number seven, so let him give not grudgingly nor of necessity for God loves a cheerful giver, meaning that if you want God's attention, you, you give of yourself, your time, energy, resources, you give of yourselves cheerfully. And, and here's why that's so important, because God is looking from heaven and is saying, after all that I've done for you, I remember one time, can I give you this illustration? I remember one time. <laughs> we was living in, uh, we, used, we, we were playing basketball at this basketball court. I was real young. I was probably... Uh, younger than everybody, you know, like five or six or something like that. It was me and my three brothers, my two brothers, and uh, we always had somebody else with us, and my dad was with us, and uh, we were playing at a park in Conover, and we stopped by the chicken box right there in, in Newton, actually. We was in Newton, stopped by the chicken box, and uh, anybody know what the chicken box is? Oh, amen. Chicken box. It's a little gas station that sells chicken, amen, and ice cream and all kind of stuff. And so we had stopped there to eat some lunch, and uh, uh, we you know, got all these mouths to feed. He didn't, my dad didn't bring a, a lot of cash with him, but here's what he did because he's a good dad, is, is he made sure that he bought all of his boys something to eat first and make sure that they were good, amen. And uh, here's what happened. Um, by the time he got us something, there really wasn't anything left for him. And so I remember like it was yesterday, he said, uh, uh, he said, uh, Junior, let me, let me get a piece of your chicken. You got, you got three, let me get one. You can keep two and, uh, uh, and everybody will be good. I just want one piece and then I'll be good. And I said, you want some of mine? He probably remember that. That's why he looked at it. He probably remember. I said, you want some of mine? And he said, um, he said yeah, I want, I want one of yours. I said, but I only have three. And I didn't want to give it to him. He said, that's okay. Don't give it to him. No, nah, go ahead. And then I felt bad. He's like, no, nah, go ahead. Go ahead. He said, but if you choke. <laughs> he said, I'm going to save you. But boy, I'm going to slap you on your back so hard. And, and, and what it taught me, what it taught me is that, 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 that what he didn't realize was teaching me is that God gave me everything. Everything I have, God gave it to me. There was nothing I could have done to buy that piece of chicken and them potato wedges. There was nothing I could have done. And if God is asking for a little bit, how in the world would I respond by saying, you want this? Why don't you go get it from somebody else? They got more than I do. He says, after what I've done for you, here, I'm still going to protect you. I'm still going to be your daddy, but I might let you go through some stuff until you see... 
how you're supposed to respond. And so he says, I'm not going to force you. He says, I love a cheerful giver. I love a cheerful giver. I want people who don't mind giving to me because they're giving as a result of what I've already given to them. A cheerful giver, somebody who, <coughs> who, who gets excited to give. It actually comes from a Greek term that, that translates into um, a laughable uh, giving, meaning that they, they give and, and they give, and you can look at it at two different ways. One, they give so much that it's laughable, that, that it's unreasonable to most people, that they give so much that they just kind of laugh, like, I can't believe I'm about to give God all of this because they know that if they can give God this, that they're sowing into him, he's always going to give them more back. than what it, Maybe they're giving from that laughable standpoint. Or maybe they're giving it's laughable because... They don't know how things are going to turn out. And it doesn't make any logical sense for me to give to God in the predicament that I'm in. So it's laughable because it's not logical for me to give. But my faith in God is at a place in my life right now that, that, that he's been keeping me all of these years. And it, whatever I have, all that I have comes from him. So even though it doesn't make logical sense, I'm going to give. No, nope, I'm going to sow. Lord have mercy. I wish I had time. Because when we do that in verse 8, God is able to make all grace <coughs> abound towards you. Can I explain that real briefly? Because that is so powerful. God is able to make all grace, which is a gift, meaning that God has the power and the personality to give you a gift, which is grace. Grace is unmerited favor. It is, it is a gift that you don't deserve, meaning, meaning when, when anybody got a $100 bill on them? Anybody got a $100 bill? Anybody got a $10, a $50 bill? You got a 50? Can you give it to me? Thank you. Oh, Lord, have mercy. I don't want your tithes and offers. I need, Lord, have mercy. Well, okay, now you're going to make me use my illustration. Okay, so, so, so she just gave me this. I didn't earn this. Thankfully, she was obedient, but I didn't, I didn't earn this. She, she just gave it to me. I didn't put no work in for this. She gave it to me. And here's what I've learned that when we have our most challenging times in giving is we got problems that we think this can solve. Or if we give, we believe it's going to create a problem that this can solve if we keep it. Lord have mercy. Or... We have a difficulty in giving because we know that I, I, I don't even have enough as it is to solve the problem that I have. But if we give anyway, he says God is able, meaning that he has the power that is, that is a more supreme power than any problem that you think that you have. It's this idea that when God looks at your issue, 
when he looks at your problem, he says, boy, I don't even need that much power to solve that. It's stressing you out. But when it's compared to God's power, he's able. He doesn't have to force it. He doesn't have to stress about it. God is able to, listen, God is able to make all grace abound towards you. Meaning that you thought all you needed was this 50 to resolve that $50 issue. But what God says, when you give that to me, not only will I solve that $50 issue, but whatever other issue that comes after that, because you sold into me, you will have a bountifulness for what it is that you're going through. All grace to supply all, all your sufficiency. Hear me when I say this. Not in all spiritual things. Lord have mercy. Because I don't want us to think that God is limited to just giving you peace. I need peace. But sometimes peace, peace, <laughs> I don't want to have to need peace. <laughs> Amen. See, I need peace when the lights ain't on and I feel like my plan ain't working. Then I need peace. I, I need peace when the car breaks down but, and my money's funny at the same time and I'm stressed out. Then I need peace. I need peace when I lose my job and I know I got more month at the end of my check, then I need peace. But can I tell you, can I offer this to somebody? I want to be in a position where I don't need peace. Because when I don't need peace, <laughs> that's where I'm trying to get to. So God, I don't even want to need joy. I want to be cool because there are some things that are happening. Not in spite of it. So, <clears throat> so I don't want you to think that God's limited to just spiritual blessings because he says that he'll allow his grace to supply all things. All things. All things. That you may abound to every good work. He tells us that the bounty and the reason why it's bounty which means more than enough, is because there's an assignment that is attached to your bounty. There's an assignment that's attached to your bounty. That there's a good work that he wants you to use the excess of the bounty for. Amen. That you may, listen, because I'm giving it to you in verse number eight, uh, that you always having all sufficiency in all things that you may even abound to every good work, meaning that, that if you sow into me, I'm, I'm going to posture your life in such a way that anytime there's a good work that's, that you're needed for, not only do you have enough for you and yours, but you're able to serve, to give, to, to help, to lift in a bountiful way. No more do you have to see people knocking on your door or knocking on your window and you say, I don't have it. No, what God is saying to you is, is that if you trust me with everything, that I will position your life in such a way that when it will never be a conversation of can you, you will just be asking them, how much do you need? Yeah. 
And there's no better work, there's no better place to be church than being in a position where money's not the issue, where time is not the issue, where giftedness is not the issue. The only question is how much do you need? Because whatever it is, I'm available for this good work. And here's what happens as a result of verse number 11. Then I'm going to jump to Ephesians 3 real quickly, real quickly, and I'm going to be done. Verse number 11, he says, (coughs) the goal of this is so that you can be enriched in everything. Enriched in everything. Because when you're enriched in everything, not just in everything to all bountifulness, which causes through thanksgiving to God, meaning that God wants to put you in a position, hear me when I say this, where, where the only pl- way, only people, the only thing that you can give thanks to is God. Is, is God. And if you're always in a place where you have enough before you do, then you'll never be in a position where you can thank God. You'll be saying, man, I did what I could. But God wants to get us to a place where it's not that we can only do when we have, but we can do even when we really don't have because we're creating an opportunity for God to show up in a bountiful way by sowing into his kingdom. Then jump with me in Ephesians chapter 3, and I'm done. Ephesians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, real quickly. Ephesians chapter 3, where he says, Now uh, unto him who who is able. Now unto him who is able. Now, I told you he is able, meaning that he has the power. He's capable, not just capable, but he's able. It's one thing for somebody to have, to, to have it, but he, he not just has it, but he wants to, to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. Here it is, according to the power that works in you. Now, here's where the message is right here. In these two words, according to, according to, that that God working his power in your life is according to the power of God that's working in your life. According to. So if, if, if there's... If whatever you're attached to that is fueling your vision or fueling your energy or fueling your power or fueling what what, what it is that you're going after, you are limited to what you're connected to. Um, I couldn't get them to work it out. But if you could imagine for a moment that I had a water gun, skeet, skeet, right? A water gun, skeet, skeet. I could get you wet, I could squirt you, but I can only squirt you according to the amount of water that's in the gun. I I, I can only get you wet according to the water that's in the gun. If my goal was not to water you, but to water a plant, I can only water that plant according to the amount of water that's in the gun. And and I can't get any more water out unless it's in the gun. So I'm limited to what's in the gun because we're all limited to what we're connected to. 
and we're limited to what's inside of us. And so if all I have is a bazooka, as big and as fancy as that gun looks, Lord have mercy, I'm limited <coughs> because it only can fill up so much. Now, here's what I was trying to get them to work out, but he said he couldn't do it. If I had a water hose that had, that had a, a, a gun on the end, and I connected that water hose to Charlotte City Water, then I'm only limited to how much water I'm connected to. Are y'all getting the point here? Meaning that, that when the gun goes out, then I'm done. And that's why I got to be careful not being solely connected to the nice, pretty gun. Because as beautiful as it is, it can only do so much. It's limited in its power and in its effectiveness. But if I get connected to Charlotte Mecklenburg City Water, I can squirt all day. I can water my grass. I don't have to just wet you. I can drench you. Because I'm, I'm, a, I'm connected to, to an untappable or undepletable resource. So when we say God is able, God can only do through you to the level that he's in you. And that if he's not in you, you're forced to rely on what you can do. And you can do good for a while on certain things. Because what if life brings you a problem that's bigger than the bazooka that you have? You're going to need to be connected to something that has an undrainable resource. And my plea today is that we detach from anything, no matter how good it looks, no matter how long we've had it, but that we get our strength and our energy and our power from God and not from man. 